This is The Community Connection, a podcast from Community Baptist Church in South Bend, Indiana. The purpose of this podcast is to better equip our church family to do the ministry of the gospel where God has planted us. We're talking about work and rest today, and we're going to do some uh, kind of follow-up. Uh, application points, thoughts, maybe on uh, on the sermon specifically from the from the sermon on work, and then maybe some a little bit of follow up on rest as well. Because well, let's be honest, it really burns when you've got all this material for a sermon that just doesn't have. You don't have the time to to get it all in. You know, I knew going into it that I wouldn't be able to get it all in. Um, you know, my normal. Uh, manuscript now is about 12 half pages and I was at 16 half pages. So I knew going into it, okay, there are going to be some things in here that I'm not going to be able to get. And that's okay because when you, you know, when you're preaching, you want to be sensitive to, to what the Holy Spirit is prompting you through the word of God. And so I, uh, but it's I a rich, rich subject. There's a, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to meditate on. There is because not a lot of people think of work from a b- biblical perspective. I mean, have you ever thought before Sunday? If you have, just lie. Basically, with respect to work, I was a pagan before you preached on it. <laughs> you know, that's what I was expecting, Ben. I've seen that kind of as a, as a pattern in your life. Well, I take my example from my leadership here at the church. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about work from God's perspective. I think one of the things that stuck out to me uh, in a huge way is that, and I had never really seen this before, um, studying this in depth at all. And that is that our God is a working God. He's not a God of leisure and rest in the heavens. He is uh, actively working to maintain, to uh, hold all things together by whom all things consist. And uh, and he worked to create. And that really stands in contrast to um, all other little G gods that, that people have created, whether it be Greek gods or, or whatever that would be, that the ultimate goal is not to achieve nirvana and nothingness, but to be with God and work for eternity for in the new heavens and the new earth. And some people see that as like, I don't want to work for all of eternity. We're, we're, it, we're using work in two different senses at and that point. That's exactly where I'm getting to. Right. Is that a lot of times what people think of when they think of work here on this earth is not what God is referencing as good work for all of eternity and even even good work that you can do here on this earth. Mm-hmm. So what's the problem with work now? What's going to change when we get to glory? Oh, what if we defined work first? That, that's, that's what I was doing. That's okay. what I was doing. That's essentially it. <laughs> I, think, I think work is productive activity. Good work. Let's define good work. Good work is productive activity for the benefit of human flourishing. To use kind of a modern phrase, human flourishing, but to say it's productive activity that's benefiting humans, that's good for people. It's mm-hmm. good for, for, for everyone involved. You know, I am, I'm making cars, and so I am benefiting people so they can now, they can be more productive in their work environment. Or, you know, I am working at the water treatment facility. You know, I am being a benefit to mankind through this productive work that I'm that I'm being involved in. And so really good work would be productive work that is a benefit to humans and bad work, or we would say immoral work because work is either going to be good for humans or bad for humans would be work that would, <clears throat> that would harm, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe we would look at things like the pornography industry mm-hmm. or the, you know, the, um, an industry selling illegal drugs, right. being, being a, being a drug, uh, drug Lord. 
um, things of that nature where you'd look and you say, okay, those are things that that is work that is productive, but it is harmful for mankind. It goes against what God has said is best for humans. Right. <laughs> Using your knowledge of chemistry to cook meth is, yes. pr- is creative and it is productive in a, in a narrow sense, but it is in direct contrast to God's purpose for human flourishing. That's exactly right. Versus using that same work to produce medicine mm-hmm. would be very different. Yeah. You know, and, and I think it's also important in work that we categorize that with God's, God's um, definition, God's view, I should say, as seen in scripture of what human flourishing is. And I'll give you, I'll give you an illustration that I think a lot of people might miss. And that is like maybe working in the casino industry. To where that may not be something that um, is looked down on in our culture, at like like pornography would be, or even like drug dealing would be. But but there may be things in our culture that may not be looked down on in our culture, but is still going against God's plan for what is best for mankind. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to be really careful that what we are, what we're doing does fall under that category of good work. And when we find that category of good work that goes along with the talents that God's given us, that's where we spend our life. Well, and as we kind of transition to this concept of how work now contrasts with the work that we will be doing in eternity, um, it's interesting to note uh, Francis Schaeffer um, wrote one time a chapter in a book of his, um, and the chapter is called uh, Substantial Healing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Francis Schaeffer, who's you know a Christian teacher in Switzerland from uh, the 1960s and 70s, and uh, uh, that kind of that time period, and a kind of a Christian apologist and thinker and intellectual and Bible teacher, uh, who maybe reads similarly to to C.S. Lewis and mm-hmm. would be really helpful. Has been really influential. But in his, that that particular section, he was commenting on the fact that uh, from Romans 8 we learned that when Christ returns, he's going to undo every aspect of the curse. It won't merely be the redemption of our bodies, but Romans 8 says that all of creation is currently groaning yeah. and under this, this particular longing for its own redemption. And Francis Schaeffer actually makes the application that says, um, we, by faith, mortify our members, uh, Romans 6, we, we put to death the deeds of the body in faith, in anticipation of the coming redemption that will be actualized in our bodies. Mm. Um, and in a similar way, we work as image bearers for the good of this creation right mm-hmm. now in faith, knowing that there is a coming redemption that will undo all of the curse. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the, the, the whole nature of our work indexing with God's creation and subduing the earth is really fascinating concept that I went down the rabbit hole a little bit. We won't won't really talk about it now, but just, just to, to think about the ways in which we could subdue creation to, to work for the benefit of mankind and for creation. Well, and even with what we were saying a minute ago, when a person works for the good of humanity, that is a faith-filled action that reflects the character of God, yep, especially the, as a Christian does it intentionally with that kind of an understanding of how Christ will redeem all of creation. That's right. And there will be no toil in the new heavens and new earth, well, that, which is really the, the, really the, 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 the contrast that Ecclesiastes gives us is that good work and the toil that's involved here on this earth where your heart cries out for good work. When you work a good hard day's labor, there's a sense of, of purpose. There's a sense of fulfillment. And yet it wasn't done perfectly. The, the world and everything in your work worked against you 
because of the curse in order to get that accomplished. If I'm farming, I've got I am literally working against the soil. I'm doing everything I can to keep that soil from being not productive, which it's trying to be with weeds and with all this stuff. Versus in the new heavens and the new earth, when we are involved in productive activity, it will be number one governed by faith, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. Pure faith that it it will be um, good work, untainted by sin in every way. But not only that, it will be untainted by toil. So, so the, the, this is the way I like to think about it: is that if you're working on a, you know, on a woodworking project, your your corners will be perfect. Your, you know, the every aspect of what you're working towards as you work out that good work, the wood itself isn't going to work against you in order to accomplish that um, that um, project that you're working towards. So when I plant seeds, the earth is going to help me in my work, Mm -hmm. which is really what I believe was happening in the Garden of Eden as they were tilling the ground, as they were working creation. Creation was assisting them in their work. And that's why the curse flipped it on its head. And and, and God says, I I think it's assumed no no longer will the, the earth help you but it's going to work against you. It's going to come hard. It was coming easy. Now it's going to come difficult when you till the ground. And what really makes it difficult is not merely just the resistance of creation, but it is um, the overwhelming, um, just quantitatively, the, the amount of curse versus the limited me. And so True. like, what is it that really makes work so so exhausting and discouraging right now, even as a believer, it's that I worked all day and there is still a mountain of things to do. I worked all day, but there are still stresses and pressures because I'm recognizing in that moment the futility of work under the curse. Well, and not only that, but my, I worked all day and the more I worked, the more tired my brain got because I forgot something or I did the math wrong or all these things to where you are, you, you, I don't even think we realize how tainted our bodies are just because of sin, the sin curse on our, on our body. And so there's everything around me is fighting me. And so when I step into the new heavens and new earth with a perfect body and there's and and creation and the new heavens and new earth is working with me in order to accomplish this work, the, the concept of good work is going to be totally different than we have it today, you know. Um, let me let me reference one thing that I think is really important. One of the things I did not get to in my message on is there anything else you want to say before we move on? By the way, no. Okay, I appreciate that. That was yeah. Kind. I just want to make sure that I defer to you on that. <laughs> well, I like um, to talk a lot, and uh, it's, it's good to have that outlet. Thank you. <laughs> um, one of the one of the things, I, and I think I mentioned it at the end, but we didn't really zero in on it, and it's the concept that. Good work, if it's not done in faith, is very dangerous. In other words, without a wholehearted devotion to God, my good work will take over my life. I will, as a human, give myself to my work too much. In an idolatrous way. In an idolatrous way. Not only that... But I will want to pursue my work so much that I may even be tempted to step outside of God's boundaries in order to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. So 
So when we are talking about good work here on this earth, it is of such vital importance that we look at that and we look at it within the parameters of genuine faith and say, I am identifying myself first and foremost as a disciple of Christ, as a child of God, and I am operating my life within that framework. Mm -hmm. And within the framework of me being a child of God, me being a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, identifying myself as that first and foremost at my, at my core, then I can launch out to do good work mm -hmm. without it taking over my life. Right. And I think that is so helpful because what that helps us understand is the next step. Once we identify what good work is, we have to understand that the Bible never advocates haphazard good deeds. And what I mean by that, you think about when Paul says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. He doesn't mean just go find some good thing to do and just do that just good go thing and you're yeah. good. Because what the scriptures do for the child of God is it prioritizes and relates good works to each other. Mm. And Jesus says this when he says to the Pharisees, listen, you have been tithing mint and cumin and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't say stop tithing mint and cumin. He instead relates to good deeds. He says, you should have been doing this without leaving the other undone. Hmm. And he says here, uh, when he's healing on the Sabbath, for instance, um, he says, what's better um, to, to is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? So he's setting up an apparent moral contradiction between two good things, to not work on the Sabbath and to heal somebody on the Sabbath. And he's saying, now here are two good things we could do, but the word of God actually prioritizes one over the other. Because God does good things on the Sabbath. My father's working until now, and I'm working. And the implication is that God works on the Sabbath. And so Jesus is saying, listen, it's not just do good things. It's do the right good things at the right time. Yeah. I think that's that's so awesome. And, and when you get into things like, when you get into to this idea of studying and reflecting God in your work, I think there are so many avenues that just open up to you. Mm -hmm. And... Like, like, I'll just give you one and then we'll move on to rest. Okay. Let, let me just give you one that I think we could also meditate and think on for a while. In my study, I came to the realization that as I am creative and participate in good work here on this earth, I need to identify the ways in which I am subduing creation and celebrate the fact that I'm actually fulfilling God's command. For instance, I look out the window from our illustrious podcast studio here in front of our golden microphones on, at the church, and I see gravel, right? That gravel is a result of somewhere in, in some area, I think Kurt Concrete probably, probably put this in. So they went down to a quarry and they got giant, somebody did, got giant rock and they crushed that rock up so that it could be placed out in this flower bed so it is aesthetically pleasing. There are different colors, there are different sizes, different shapes. So it can not only be aesthetically pleasing, but it can also serve a function here around the foundation of our building. And you look at that and you said, somebody had to have the idea of, hey, why don't we do it? Why don't we do this? Why don't we take these rocks, put them into small pieces and lay it down this way? And then if I, as I, in my good work, go pick up a load of gravel and in a right way, lay it out in a way that, that is aesthetically pleasing, that's beautiful, that's purposeful, that's good for humans. It's better to have that there than to have certainly weeds and all sorts of things that would be harmful, especially briars or whatever it would be, that I'm actually subduing creation in the way that God's asked me to. 
that I am taking control of this world and I am leveraging, that's a really silly illustration, but I'm leveraging this world and, and, and the, the things that are in it in order to benefit humanity. And so like what it really does is it, it sanctifies the mundane activities I engage in every day. Absolutely. So when I sweep the kitchen after dinner, I'm bringing God's order into the, the resources he's given me to steward. Yes. And yeah. that, what, that gives me so much encouragement in the midst of my toil. Yeah. And that's why we say, you know, we, we work and we work for God's glory. We work good things, but we're working in faith. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're working in faith that what I'm doing is glorifying to God, even if, you know, I sweep and then five minutes later, somebody's come through and totally trashed it and it has to be swept again. Yeah. You think I am continually, I mean, I'll give you one more illustration. I'm currently drinking a good cup of coffee, right? And in this good cup of coffee, in order to get this cup of coffee, somebody had to pick the beans, roast the beans, grind the beans, pour the water through the coffee grounds, and then add a little bit of cream that came from a dairy farm where a guy milked a cow, processed it, packaged it, all this kind of stuff. And, and this cup of coffee with just a little bit of cream in it, which is the way coffee should be drunk, just black, which is a little bit of cream. Um, it's not black anymore if it's got a little bit of cream in it. But it's black let's, coffee. Let's make that distinction. A bit of cream. <laughs> it's not black coffee. <laughs> but it's the right way to subdue creation in this way. Your point. But my point is that I can look at that and I can say, this is a blessing to me in the afternoon as just the shot of caffeine that I need <laughs> to continue to stay productive, sure, right? Sure. But, but in the sense that I can drink this, that's an act of subduing creation, of subduing the earth and saying... We, this is this is our our command. This is our blessing from God to work out in this way, and like like what you said, it gives value to even the the smallest task. It gives hope for those who are perhaps they would see their their talent as not super valuable, and yet they can become very proficient, very effective at subduing the earth in this way. You know what this does is it really makes concrete what could potentially just be like a Hobby Lobby inspirational sign, whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. There you go. It really yeah. makes sense when we talk about it this way, because I now know how my eating and drinking and uh, career and production and cleaning and all of these things actually do bring glory to God. And as we transition to rest, I think it'd be good. I'm looking at my notes here from Sunday. I have a quote in here that I would like to read from uh, the one, the only Martin Luther here it is. That quote you read was awesome. Are you going to read that whole thing again? I'm going to read the whole thing again. It was really good. I was loved it. it. So you got major points in your sermon for that. Yes. I'm always looking for points for you, Ben. From you. <laughs> I'm not looking for points for you. Well, you don't earn I'll show you my scorebook someday. Points from you. <laughs> I don't want to see it. <laughs> Why? Okay. Move. Martin Luther says the following. <clears throat> What you do in your house is worth as much as if you did it in heaven for the Lord God. We should accustom ourselves to think of our position and work as sacred and well-pleasing to God, not on account of the position and work, but on account of the word and faith from which obedience and work flow. The idea that the service, by the way, these weren't said back to back to back. I've got three different quotes here, but I put them together because he should have said back to back to back. The idea that the service to God should have only to do with a church altar, singing, reading, sacrifice, and the like is without doubt the worst trick of the devil. How could the devil have led us more effectively astray than by the narrow conception that service to God takes place only in church and the works done therein? The whole world could abound with services to the Lord. 
not only in churches, but also in the home, in the kitchen, in the workshop, in the field. The works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household task, but that all works are measured before God by faith alone. Indeed, the menial housework of a manservant or maidservant is often more acceptable to God than all the fastings and other works of a monk or priest because the monk and priest lacks faith. What a baller, Martin Luther. Man. My boy. <laughs> my boy. My man. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's work. Let's talk about rest. You did, um, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you, we're giving away points. I'll give you points for your free message on the Sabbath. That's pretty good. Um, let's, let's talk about rest for a minute because work, as we said, work, if we take it outside the concept of faith, becomes dangerous, becomes unhelpful, becomes harmful. And so we have this concept that God gives us in scripture, and that is that you need every human needs to have a consistent pattern of rest. And the pattern of rest that's outlined in scripture for us is what? <laughs> was that a setup? I mean, I literally just took a softball and I gave you a giant. Yeah, it was, it's ironic because the Bible is surprisingly very non-specific about exactly what that looks like in the it, new testament yeah 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 <laughs> it's very specific in the old testament right yeah i mean if no. we want to go to the midrash we could find lots of <laughs> i'm just find saying lots of things. in yeah. general in in scripture we find this pattern right yeah that comes up over and over and over again yes i'm gonna try to Rest tee this. i'm gonna try a... to tee this up for you again you ready in, in scripture, we find this pattern that just keeps coming up over and over again, this pattern of rest, and it's called the Sabbath. There you go. Nailed it out of the park. How hard was that? Ben, what is the Sabbath? Uh, the Sabbath um, <laughs> is both a um, scheduled and theological concept. Okay. It's a scheduled concept. It's a theological concept. Um, and it originates in Genesis uh, with the, the days of creation before the account of God forming Adam, bringing the animals to him, naming them, making woman out of the rib of the man, there is a summary statement of the end of that entire week of creation. Before God's even done creating, we have a summary statement. Um, it's in Genesis chapter number one, verses 26 to 31. And uh, it specifically talks about God finishing his creation on the seventh day and then taking that seventh day um, as a Sabbath um, and God rested on the seventh day. Um, now, there is a wide variety of opinions on how this theological concept develops from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, and so decisions have to be made. You have to fall on, on a particular side. Um, I think that the evidence favors the concept that the Sabbath is both a physical and spiritual rest for God's people that points forward to the final rest that we will enjoy with him in glory. Would you also say that it points back to Eden? Like back and forward, or mainly just forward. It, 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 the Sabbath is something Sorry, I put that you on is, the spot. Yeah, that no, may, no, no, no. And I'm just been... thinking through the right words, the right way to, to describe this. Um, the Sabbath is part of creation order, mm -hmm. in the same way that 
I, biological gender is part of creation order, the same way that marriage relationships are part of creation sure, order, the sure, same sure. way that the dominion mandate is part yeah, of creation yeah, yeah, yeah. order. So in that sense, the Sabbath does point back, but it also just describes what reality is like as a human being made in God's image. So it's not gotcha. so much as a picture pointing backwards, as so much as it is just a part of the fabric of reality. Gotcha. Um, and uh, so, so in that sense, uh, but what the Sabbath is in that context is not talking about um, a 24-hour day specifically. Correct. It's talking about the period of rest from surviving work mm-hmm. and moving into the kind of rest for the work of worship. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much a cessation of activity so much as it is putting on pause one kind of activity in favor of a different kind of activity. See, and I think that's so important because I had somebody ask me after my message uh, on work, and I just kind of mentioned rest a little bit. They said, um, D- can I do anything on on Sunday? Is is there Because their mind had already been going ahead. Right. And it's like, well, I, I don't think that's the point of God giving right. Sabbath. Right. And the New mm-hmm. Testament is, again, like not specific enough to, to give us those kinds of guidelines. And so, you know, different people throughout history have had different concepts of what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. But the point of it is this, is holding the kinds of rest that are possible in the right tension. So, for instance, we have a physical rest which we desperately need, mm-hmm. and you, you t- treated that very well this past Sunday. And then we also have rest from normal work so that I can engage in the activity of worship. Mm-hmm. So we have both of those things that, that need to happen. However, if I hold my physical rest as a priority above my need for resting in worship, mm-hmm. then I've missed the boat. I have missed the biblical picture and injunctions on me and responsibilities laid on me as a child of God for what that rest is supposed to look like. Yeah, and I think that's so important to say, okay, what exactly? We have to look and say, what is rest? Because when we say rest, people think sleep a lot of times. A lot of times. Like, like what you put it, they, they think inactivity or a cessation. Ces, cessation. Mm-hmm. Cessation? Cessation. Not cessation. No. No, that's very different. Yes. That's separation. Yes. Cessation, a quitting of activity. Right. And and I, I, I put in my um, message that really I believe when it comes to rest, or this concept of rest refreshing, which, which is also the same word used in the New Testament, the rest refreshing and, uh, and reviving, there are three aspects to it. And I could be wrong in this. I'm not a doctor. But in all the reading that I did, I kept seeing these three common threads come up, okay? And the one, the first aspect of this rest, refreshment, reviving that you need is sleep. The second is ceasing from your normal work routine. That doesn't mean you cease from all activity. It means you cease from a normal work routine in order to pause for worship, in order to pause for some other activity. And the third is engaging in a physical, emotional, and spiritual resetting. Hmm. So there's this time where I say, okay, I may be ceasing from a normal routine and engaging in another activity. But in that moment of rest, what I'm doing is I'm actually finding refreshment and I'm finding revival spiritually by getting up and going to church rather than quote unquote getting the rest that I need by sleeping in and sleeping through church because I'm just so tired. Right. Yeah. For you to say, well, you know, I didn't go to church today because I just need to take a Sabbath. Well, you've just hijacked the biblical terms and just turned them to your own ends, essentially. I think one of the most helpful ways to think about this, and I don't agree with um, 
a lot of how the Puritans applied this concept of the Sabbath, but I loved the the base principles that uh, kind of laid out for them their intentions, which is they described it this way. They said that the Sabbath is the market day of the soul. Hmm. You think about in your family life, you know, maybe once or twice a month, you've got grocery day hmm. where you've got it. You go to Sam's Club or Costco, you go to Meyer, you go to Aldi, you go to Martin's or whatever, you get your groceries and you get your grocery day. You spend your big you know, all your, your grocery budget, now you get all, all your, your essentials, right? You know, you, <laughs> but you get, you get your essentials, right? You yeah. get your, your, your meat, you get your cheese, you get your milk, your eggs, your flour, whatever you need. Um, and, uh, you think about how it was in, in kind of medieval to Elizabethan time periods where it wasn't, there weren't groceries all around. You could just go anytime you wanted, pick up whatever vegetables you wanted. You had a market day mm-hmm. and you'd go in and you get your necessities for uh, that entire day, you know, early in the morning, or you'd go once a week and store things up for the coming week, or maybe once a month, you know, people would come from all over and set up a market day. Mm-hmm. And the Puritans called the Sabbath the market day of the soul. Mm-hmm. And they worked very hard to make sure that whatever happened on that day was contributing to the the personal enjoyment of their relationship with God. So whether that was family worship, um, discussing the sermon they'd heard, attending an evening service so that they could hear more of God's word, mm-hmm. um, spending time in fellowship with their pastor or with other church friends or families, um, definitely, without question, making it a point to gather with God's people on the Sabbath because that was the, the time that God had specifically given to them for the refreshment and nourishment of their souls. Would you say that it is your conviction? I'm going to phrase this carefully because I don't want to talk in absolutes because scripture is silent in the New Testament on the application right. of this. Right. You're saying it's your conviction that Christians need to have a pattern of rest, a consistent pattern of rest in their life that's ongoing on a regular basis. When I say consistent pattern, I mean, um, this may be once once a three or four days. This may be once a day. This may be once a week. Whatever it is I'm looking at, I'm saying, I'm not waiting six months to engage in my Sabbath. Yeah. I need to consider. Would you, would you say that? Yes. Yes. Um, it's hard to for me to dichotomize too much between the physical rest and rest for worship. So, I, like, I'm sure. trying to figure out, like... Yes, we, we need both of those things. Um, and there are ways that God has built those things into our daily life. For instance, we do go to bed every day. Mm-hmm. You know, we do sleep every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we work very hard to protect that time. I think mm-hmm. and I think societally we're becoming more and more aware of our need for sleep, yeah. um, especially as we've been losing more and more of it. Yeah. Um, so I think that, there yes, there, there need to be regular patterns of rest in your life physically because if you don't, you die, mm-hmm. just practically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but but on, a, on a more theological scale, I think that the purpose of taking time off from your work routine is first for worship, second for physical refreshment. In that order, yeah. not 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 in com- competition with each other, sure. But when I'm spiritually nourished, I think it affects my body. Yeah. And when I take the time to take a nap on Sunday, mm-hmm. it it does aid my ability to walk in the spirit because I I am even though I have body and soul, I am a I'm a unity of those things, right. and God's designed my body to live with my soul and my soul to work with my body. See, I would I would probably be a lot stronger on this than you would, and this is my personal conviction. I found this in my life to be true that I believe that we, in a lot of ways, as human beings in general, I should say one thing that I've observed in my own life. Let me talk. Let me talk about just my own life. One thing I've observed in my own life is that 
I stay very busy, but busyness doesn't mean I'm productive in a lot of ways. And I think in some ways we are too busy about things that are unproductive and not busy enough about the things we should be doing. And because of that, our life is overrun with noise. Mm. And I think it is very important for believers, especially to have a consistent pattern of noise reduction Hmm. in their life. That's interesting. And the reason is, is because I have found in my life, again, I don't know that I can, I'm sure that I could index scripture and I could, I could pull out principles, you know, that would support this. Right. But I found in my life that when my heart is still and quiet is when one of two things happen, either I get nervous because there's things in my heart that I don't like and I cover it up with noise. Mm-hmm. I don't like being by myself. I don't like being quiet. I don't like the stillness. I don't like time and deep thought. Or I learn to treasure those times because it's in those moments that my mind is able to dive deep into scripture yeah. and and I'm able to fellowship with God in prayer. Mm. And, um, and I, I just am convinced more and more that believers need those consistent patterns of of noise reduction in their life of saying i'm going to take a step back for this day and spend time yes and, and a lot of times i think it's good to couple it together you know sunday we're going to we're going to spend time sunday school sunday morning sunday night with our church family but during sunday as well we're going to turn off our our electronics and mm-hmm. we're not going to do social media. We're not going to do video games. We're not going to do TV. Mm-hmm. We're going to sit around the table and talk. We're going to read. We're going to rest. Right. And I think if people did that, if they truly took a day like that, they'd be shocked at how, how their life would be, you know, better. And it's funny because it doesn't take away routine from your day of rest. It actually no. just, it's a different kind of routine. I, I can't tell you just the help it is, you know, cause the, the week gets crazy. Um, Holly and I, we're, you know, she's, she's teaching and, you know, I'm doing stuff here at the church and, you know, we're doing this with a family in the evening. We've got this church responsibility going on on this evening and you, you know exactly what yeah. that's like, but there's something so awesome about knowing, okay, on Sunday, Holly and I are going to have lunch together. We might, you know, maybe there's going to be somebody else, a visitor, you know, maybe we'll have somebody over to eat with us. But you know, once we clear the table, we're going to pull out the Bible and we're going to have a time where we just read scripture together. Mm. We have a time of family worship. We do our best to you know, make a couple of comments from the Sunday morning message, doing our best to make sure that the quietness that we have is an opportunity for us to continually turn our thoughts and attention toward the Lord. Yeah. And in doing that, it's become very sweet. Mm. It's something that you look forward to. And especially probably, Precious. you know, you, you would be able to, to appreciate this because Sundays for us can end up actually being, you know, paradoxically very busy <laughs> very and, busy, and not, yeah. not in the truest, you know, and not in the physical sense, very restful. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, but even just recognizing, okay, you know, all the more there need to be times on the Lord's day that we protect for introspection, for listening to God's word rather than only ever speaking God's word yeah. to other people. I think that's so helpful. Um, uh, one closing thought I wrote down, uh, really with these three messages that I've, that I'll be doing, I've done two of them. I'll do another one on suffering by the time people hear this it would have already been done, but, um, I've titled the, all three of them, God's mandate and gift work, God's mandate and gift rest. And it's interestingly enough that I didn't expect this. I've actually titled my third sermon, God's mandate and gift and it's suffering. Mm-hmm. 
is that in a sense that God has ordained that life be this way. God has ordained that mankind be involved in good work. And in that, it is a command. But in that, it's also such a gift that we can work out for God's glory. Rest, it's a command, but it's also a gift. And even suffering, I wouldn't, when I say mandate in this sense, it isn't like God commands us to suffer in a masochistic way, but that it's part of the life of the believer, that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, that the suffering that, that we experience as being alive in a sin-cursed world is just a fact of life. Mm-hmm. But yet, for the believer, Paul says we can rejoice in those sufferings. Mm, yeah, no, that's that's really, really good. And it's so helpful because in, in that, again, like it takes these kind of cliche Bible verses, but gives them so much meaning. Like when Paul says, we know that all things work together for good to those mm-hmm. who love God. God is able to take working under the curse in the fall, mm-hmm. resting by faith mm-hmm. in my relationship in Christ, suffering in fellowship with Christ. God mm-hmm. takes all three of those things and makes them work for the good of my soul. Amen for that. What a blessing Ecclesiastes has been, hasn't yeah. it? Amen. And, uh, and I hope that as we move forward as a church family, that this precious book will continue to be such a blessing to us as we look deep into its truths and we uh, learn who God is in a deeper way as a result of it.